Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The 49ers have their 53-man roster set. It is now up to us to decipher it, break it down. And I've got Johnny Dells here with me to talk about the initial 53 and really see are the 49ers better or worse as we just got some waiver wire news Right after this, we're going to talk about that. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the program. Well, 49ers news just hit right before we started Go Go Live. The waiver wire news just came out. The 49ers have officially lost three players. But before we get into football talk, how you doing, Johnny Dell? How you doing, man? Oh, doing fantastic. You know, it's another good day to talk 49ers. Uh, the 53 is set. And we're headed towards the season. You know, the 53 always starts to feel like football is really back. You know, that's that's when it says the season is literally right around the corner. Uh, when training camp starts, it starts to feel like, okay, we know now we're getting we're ramping up. But when the 53 is set, that's when it's like it's go time. Niners football is about to go down. Right, exactly. And I mean, it's the initial 53, as uh, reports have said. You know, it's not at all what the exact 53 is going to be at the end of the day. But we can't start there because we just lost three players to the waiver wire. The 49ers did not claim anybody, but there were some interesting moves, you know, and the 49ers are now the beneficiary of losing some of those players. The 49ers have lost Deshaun Jameson, the undrafted rookie cornerback that a lot of people had as, uh, you know, pegged as the top undrafted free agent in this class. 49ers decided not to put him on the 53, and the Carolina Panthers have claimed Deshaun Jamison. He has found his new home. They also lost center Keith Ishmael to the Arizona Cardinals, as well as guard-slash-tackle Bill Manning to the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals poaching two players from the 49ers offensive line unit. All three of those guys no longer with the team. What do you think about that? You know, it's part of the curse of when you are a good team is that you only have so many spots, only so many guys that you can protect, only so many guys that you can really uh, bring into the fold. And this is what you tend to see happen to good teams every year, is that teams that are trying to rebuild their roster, teams that are looking at, uh, that weren't exactly the greatest teams the year before, end up poaching the really good teams of guys that don't make the roster. And you know that's what we're seeing. Uh, it's it's sort of expected. Also, the other part is, uh, you know, this is the hard part of when they go through the cut down to 53 of who do you absolutely protect? Who do you think might make it through the waivers to get on your practice squad? I, I can't not believe that all three of those guys were not guys that they were hoping would end up back on the practice squad. 
But at the same point, those guys are going to make a whole lot more money on somebody else's active roster than they are on the practice squad. So I feel good for them, bad for us. No, I agree. And I mean, if we talk about the three players specifically, we'll talk about the fan favorites first. Uh, we'll start with Il Manning, uh, an interesting uh, player, obviously, who was a developmental candidate, 6'2", 295-pound tackle, impressed to tackle. But the reality is he was not going to play tackle in the NFL. He likely slides over to the guard position, maybe even a center position, given his size. And the 49ers eventually uh, cut him, rostered nine offensive linemen, but they went with John Feliciano, Jalen Moore, Matt Pryor, and Nick Zakel as their four offensive linemen. Now, do I like the backup offensive line unit right now for the 49ers? Not necessarily. I don't think it's that strong. The 49ers were implementing a lot of roster politics. One, they don't have a true swing tackle this year. Jalen Moore, Nick Zakel have not flipped sides once, really. Not once, but haven't flipped sides much at all this offseason. Moore has primarily stayed on the left side. Zakel, uh, sorry. Prior estate on the right side, and that's why you have to roster two tackles because you don't have a swing tackle as you've had in the past years where a guy could play both left and right. And again, swing tackles in the NFL, not that great because you don't normally specialize at one position. You're specializing at two, but those took up two roster spots instead of one. The 49ers also were going to lock in John Feliciano. He's their best backup offensive lineman, and he paid him $2.25 million in guaranteed money. And then the final move uh, was rostering Nick Sakel. A lot of fans didn't like that. The reason being, if he if he gets cut, he gets claimed. Teams like versatility, and the reality is, offensive linemen, they're scarce in the NFL. You don't see many good backups. And so Il Manning was left to waivers. The 49ers were trying to keep him, obviously, on the practice squad. He gets claimed. He's going to Arizona. And now the 49ers lose out on one of those developmental prospects. Absolutely. You know, I think you nailed it on the head with the, the tackle situation. I think that played more into Il Manning uh, being exposed to the waiver wire more than anything in that the 49ers, like you said, for years, it was usually a swing tackle. And we saw that bite us down the stretch several times, uh, most notably the 2022 uh, NFC championship game, uh, excuse me, 2021 NFC championship game where, uh, you have Mike McGlinchey out and Tom Compton's in there and just getting absolutely mauled. And you know, that it's like, you love the idea of a guy that could play either way, but it just ends up most like most of the time becoming a situation where, uh, that guy is not good at either tackle position. And so now you let a guy be able to stay home. And I think what they were looking for is where most people look for a swing tackle and then two interior linemen who can play any of the three positions. I think what they did this year is looked at, at guys who could play both tackle positions and then also be able to play inside. I think John Feliciano is a guy that they, they see can, can go plug in at guard if they need, uh, and be able to play there. I, I do believe he got some, I saw him get some snaps in on the interior during preseason. And so I think that's what it comes down with ill Manning is that ill Manning is a tackle that should be an interior swing guy. And, but he's playing tackle and, uh, and, and that's where he obviously felt more comfortable. Now love the motor, love the way that the guy played, love the technique, everything. Uh, but man, it was just hard to, Hard to see him fitting into the the jigsaw that is there. And, and offensive line is the one position I feel like we don't have a lot of depth there. I am worried about the depth at offensive line because it always seems like somebody's nicked up. Uh, last year, uh, you know, we had 
we had a rotation there at guard and and we're not going to have that this year. You had essentially had three guys who could be starting quality guards and we have two now is what I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's the case. And when you look at L Manning specifically, do I hate the 49ers didn't keep him on their 53? No. The reason though, that I personally had him on my final 53 projection this was the one group where when I attacked it, I didn't think of roster politics because personally, I didn't feel this room was, frankly enough, talented. I didn't think that this backup room was that talented. And so to me, I went with the guys who I felt would be the most protected if you kept them on, you know, the, the guys who you felt could at least amount to something had they moved forward. And that's why I had Il Manning there. You needed one tackle. I liked Jalen Moore a little more. So I went with Moore and then I went with John Feliciano. But in the, re- in the grand scheme of things, and I'm not trying to cape for the 49ers. I told you I had El Manning on my 53. I don't think this is as big of a loss as people are going to as- insinuate. The reason being, the 49ers have a very similar guy to El Manning size-wise in Jason Pope. And they've also already showed a struggle in trying to develop these guys who in reality might be stuck to just one position in the NFL, and that's center. El Manning has looked good in tackle. But the issue is he's looked good against third stringers. You, 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 he's not going to be able to keep up long-term a tackle against first-string players, against real talented players, just given the the length and the size that he has. And Chris Forster has said it out loud where he thinks, I mean, the 49ers believe that those measurables are true value. They, you need those measurables to play certain positions. And that's why the 49ers are going to likely give Jason Poe a look at center on the practice squad this year to try and develop him into that position. Cause that's his one true position where he could stick at the NFL. The 49ers have a similar guy. That's why I'm not as down on this loss as the, uh, as the other positions, but nonetheless, I mean, it's a player that, a player that was, you know, showcasing something in the preseason and David Lombardi just posted. I mean, um, he has a storyline with Arizona. He grew up in Glendale, Arizona. Apparently he also was, uh, went to the Arizona local pro day for the Cardinals. So they've had their eye on him. They saw what they liked in the preseason and now he's gone. Yeah. And you, and you nailed it on the head. It's, it's about measurables. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I think part of it, the, the story with Il Manning and why people loving him so much is that he doesn't have the measurables. You know, he's, he's, our, he's like the our, unique one, the unicorn. Yeah. He's the Rudy Rudiger. You know, he's our, he's our Rudy that everybody was rooting for that. He's undersized and uh, going to get through it with determination and effort. And, you know, he was a guy that when you watched him on film, it was easy to fall in love with. You could see the tenacity. You could see the effort. You could see everything there. It's just like you said, he's going against third stringers, against second stringers. When you start getting into the Vaughn Millers of the world that are just going to be able to get their hands on you before you can get your hands on them, it doesn't matter how much you really want it. That is a problem. Uh, That's a problem for your quarterback if they're doing that. So... Uh, it's one thing when you're going against third stringers, but when you hit the Von Millers of the world, those measurables really do start to come into play. And that's what I think what the 49ers are looking is that he's a guy that they liked him. Uh, they probably wanted to bring him back on the practice squad, but, and develop him somewhere else, but uh, they weren't going to be able to, they weren't going to be in a situation where they were going to put their quarterback at risk over that. No, I, I do agree with that. Now let's move over to the number two guy, Deshaun Jameson. Now, this is the one that I think the 49ers truly lost a talent here. And this is the one where I would have kept him on my 53. 
I had the 49ers rostering six cornerbacks. Uh, the 49ers only went with five. Deshaun Jameson was the sixth in addition to the five the 49ers had. And this one's a tough pill to swallow at the moment because the 49ers don't have a week one kick returner. And Jameson was solid. He had the fumble, but the 49ers actually had a need for Jameson on their active roster at the moment that I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons. But the other was I thought he was a talented cornerback um, that could, you know, develop into something inside or outside with the with the versatility that he could have provided you know i think that there was something that you could have had there and when you look at the roster the number one question that i have that we'll get to after this is why did they roster a third quarterback especially looking around the nfl with the number of quarterbacks that went you know uh through the waiver wire one unclaimed and now are returning to their teams on the practice squad that's going to be a question that i personally I disagreed with that situation. Thought the 49ers with the trade for Trey Lance, it not only did it free up some cap space, not only did it give Lance a new opportunity, but it allowed the 49ers to go with the situation of saving a roster spot. And I'll point to Bill Belichick over there in New England. Bill Belichick cut both of his backup quarterbacks. Both of them had a better chance of being claimed than Brandon Allen. And Brandon Allen's also a veteran. He has veteran status. He could be immediately re-signed. Both of them cleared waivers. So Bill Belichick, just you got an extra roster spot and got a talented player at quarterback that is going to be on the practice squad now. So that's what I'll say. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that they didn't want to do with Brandon Allen was expose him on the on the practice squad. Uh, that they think they were looking at teams as the dust was settling, seeing who was going to be available there on teams as practice squads. And that's what they were concerned about. And and. You know, Kyle Shanahan, the one thing about him that you that you can know is that he has a little bit of PTSD from his scars. And, you know, he's he's got a, a certain way about him that some things when they hit you and they burn you bad, uh, you carry the scars from those. And I think that third quarterback situation is something that's going to haunt him this season. And I don't think he's going to let any chance of having a guy that they have to add onto the roster in November being a guy they're relying upon in the NFC championship game. So I, I think that's what this is about. This is about his PTSD. And I, I really think that Jameson's spot, you know, I, I think there was a, a multi kind of it, when it comes, I think he was on that 53rd spot is, is where he was looking for. And, and who are you competing with at, at those points you're looking at, you know, like Brandon Allen, you're looking at maybe Jordan Mason, tidy of his price. Cause you're starting to look at uh, you. If you got Elijah Mitchell there, you're looking at your fourth running back. You know, that's a position that uh, are you going to be keeping that position or not? Are you going to keep four running backs? Or are you going to keep um, a six defensive back? It's in the wide receiver room. Who are you keeping, Danny Gray, or are you keeping Deshaun Jameson? Danny Gray can return punts, just you know, be the special teams returner like Deshaun Jameson was. It's where does that fit in, and also where does this picture look going looking forward with Daryl Luter? I know he's on the pup right now, and he doesn't count towards the 53, but they're thinking down the road on that of where does that go, and I really think they thought they could stash Jameson on the practice squad, but, you know, gets, gets picked up, and now that that cornerback room is looking a little thin what happens if you have lose a guy next week and then you're you lose another guy and you're sitting there going you know all of a sudden now we're we're down to a really thin corner position where you don't have the depth there that you need need to have and because that's been a position that the 49ers have needed depth in 
the last two years. So what happens there? And with, especially with Daryl Luter being on the pup, you know, uh, personally, I would have kept Jamison and I would have, I, I would have tried to make it a hard decision there with your fourth running back, but, but that becomes hard because Elijah Mitchell has not been able to be counted on to be healthy. So uh, I don't think it was an easy choice in any way, uh, but you made a good point about Brandon Allen of personally, if it's me, I'm exposing him to waivers. I, or I, I, and he, like you said, he's veteran protected. They can get him back just like they did with Kerry Hyder, um, what they're doing there. You know, so I, I, I would like to see that, but I think, uh, I think Kyle Shanahan's, uh, he's a little paranoia scarred. there is he's is, a little scarred you know, there. Yeah. yeah. I really think once the, what I think should have happened is that once the NFL made that third emergency quarterback rule in place, then they should have ad added that to the active roster that should have, they should have bumped their active roster from 53 to 54 because most teams didn't have that third quarterback because it was an, was an open slot on the 53 that they didn't want to take up. And I'll say this, there teams do not care about that rule. They are operating under the same pretense as the previous, uh, you know, the previous formula, which is they're having their third quarterback on the practice squad. That's why in past years, only 25% of teams at most would carry third quarterback. And usually that third quarterback isn't a veteran. Instead, that third quarterback is a developmental candidate. One of the guys who you really don't want to expose to waivers. And one of the guys who you feel that could be a backup, a potential backup in the future or something like that such as a Brock Purdy last year, something like that. But the 49ers go with an intriguing uh, situation. They go for a veteran. And I honestly think that Brandon Allen would not have a spot on a 53-man roster had he, you know, um, had he been released. I think that given the way the quarterback market is, teams prefer a guy like Bailey Zappi to Brandon Allen. Teams prefer I, – I, and even if they don't prefer, there are a ton of quarterbacks right now that are out there that you could sign – that provide you similar value to Brandon Allen. But that was only one situation, you know, on the roster. There were a couple of intriguing things. And that's why I want to get your thoughts. We'll go position by position. See what you kind of feel about the roster. See, compare it to last year. Talk about the 53 and go like that. And, of course, since we're talking about quarterback right now, what are you thinking about the quarterback position after uh, the 53-man roster is unfolded and uh, compared to last year? Well, if you had asked me this question a month ago, I would say that I felt better about the quarterback room August 1st of 2023 than I did August 1st of 2022. Uh, August 1st, 2022, we were looking at Trey Lance was going to be the guy. And then behind him, uh, you had Brock Nate Purdy Sudfeld. who and, and Nate Purdy. Sudfeld, you know, and Brock Purdy was a complete unknown. You know, he was the he was the, the Mr. Irrelevant. So you're not feeling great about that. Nate Sudfeld has always been a big bag of meh. And there, there's not a lot to be excited about there. And you're going, okay. You know, it, it, the thought was if Trey goes down, we're screwed. And then, you know, because Jimmy Garoppolo is thrown on a side field. He's not even with the team. And then fast forward to now, August 30th. 2023 i don't feel as good about our quarterback room as i did august 30th 2022 uh at that point jimmy was he headed back as a backup and so you knew that if trey lance went down at least you had jimmy garoppolo who you'd won a lot of games with and you still had a chance and uh trey lance was looking like gonna gonna be the franchise quarterback and then you had this seventh round guy might turn into something i don't know brock purdy now we're looking at Brock Purdy's there. 
And should he go down, we're turning to Sam Darnold. And I don't feel I don't feel as good, you know, with Brock Purdy being backed up by Sam Darnold as I did about Trey Lance being backed up by Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I, I feel like the the quarterback position is is much where it was probably August first of twenty twenty two. That as long as Brock Purdy stays healthy, we're fine. But you know, I, I'm not loving the depth there. I'm not loving the fact that Trey Lance is now in Dallas. Uh, obviously, he really did want to be somewhere other than San Francisco. And the, the reports coming out was that after he found out he was the third string quarterback, that he wanted to go anywhere but San Francisco. And they said they wanted to keep him, but they were going to do what was in the best interest of Trey and where he what he wanted to do. And he gets traded, and almost immediately his uh, social media, there's no signs of him ever being a 49ers quarterback. So... Uh, obviously, you know, there's something going on there, but uh, I, I wish we could have held on to Trey Lance. I, I, I do think he was a, a, a guy that has had a rough circum has had some rough circumstances, probably the wildest circumstances I've ever seen for a high draft pick quarterback coming into the NFL. Uh, I don't know if we've seen a guy that raw come in and then experience injury after injury. Like he, he has, um, you know, the, He's got an uphill road from here, but overall, um, I feel great about Brock Purdy. I feel absolutely fantastic about Brock Purdy, and that's about as far as it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you talk about the quarterback room right now, I mean, you talk about the top-end talent. I'll say this, and I've been a proponent of Trey Lance. I think he has a high ceiling and things like that. Brock Purdy is better than Trey Lance was by far. When you compare where they were starting in 2022 compared to week one of 2022 to 2023, Trey Lance was a very raw quarterback last year, and that's why the 49ers implemented the game plan that they did in allowing the run game to flourish so that it opened up easier looks for Lance in his early stages of really playing right in the NFL. So the starter is good. The depth, much worse than last year. I mean, you had Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Party last year. You had two quarterbacks that carried your you know, carry your team after they got the starter got injured and then the backup got injured. That's unprecedented in the NFL this year. It's not nearly as, as good. I think that when you talk about the backup level talent, I think Sam Donald's worse than where Jimmy Garoppolo was when he started playing and then worse than where Brock Purdy was when he started playing. And I also am not that confident in Sam Donald personally as a quarterback, especially after watching training camp, after watching the preseason, I don't think there's really anything so far that has amazed me about Sam Donald to 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 make me feel very comfortable in him if he takes over games other than the fact that he's in a Kyle Shanahan system then you talk about the third string quarterback I don't think Brandon Allen should be on the team I think that he should be a practice squad level quarterback the reason that he's on the team is because the 49ers don't want to go down to their third string guy and not have a guy on the active roster that's the really main reason why he's on the team in in general Three quarterbacks is not a norm for teams. I, that's that's not been the norm in the NFL unless you're trying to carry a developmental prospect. The 49ers, though, are now doing it because of the very unprecedented situation they faced in the NFC Championship game. And if they continue to do it, they're going to be at a disadvantage, whereas teams like the Patriots are able to stash another core, uh, another player, another core player that they could keep while you know maneuvering their way with quarterbacks because what they'll do it's likely signed a guy like Bailey Zappi to the practice squad, call him up to the 53-man roster, um, and then you know he'll be the backup quarterback. But you, roster politics-wise, you could have done elsewhere. Not a big fan of it, but talent-wise as well, I think this room has seen uh, you know 
a depreciation of talent from last year. Yeah. And, and like you said, though, the, 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 it was almost unprecedented the amount of talent that was in that quarterback room, maybe right. whether or not we realized it last year. And uh, you know, that that's, that's going to be something that would be hard for any team to match. Uh, I, I know we talked about it. I think it was last year uh, that, the 49ers probably had the best quarterback room in the NFL. And so it, it's hard to maintain that at a premium position. But the, the one thing I will say that I, I did like from Sam Darnold, and I think was a big deciding factor, having watched through all the preseason film, a uh, big deciding factor on why Sam Darnold was your quarterback number two versus maybe Trey Lance, was that Sam Darnold consistently showed where – while he wasn't always able to deliver the ball, which is the most important thing, but in which Trey Lance also had those problems too. But Sam Darnold consistently showed that he was able to find the right place to read. Uh, you know, if when he, when he, when they were given, when him and Trey Lance were both given full field reads, Sam Darnold generally knew which side of the field to read, even if the defense shifted post snap. I didn't always see that from Trey Lance. Actually, I very rarely saw that from Trey Lance. Oftentimes, whatever he saw pre-snap, he would choose his side to read, and no matter what happened post-snap, he was going to stick to that side. And uh, a good example of that would be there was an off-schedule play that Trey Lance made. I believe it was his first play of the game against Denver. He rolled out, hit uh, Ronnie Bell uh, along the sideline. That was a play he had a running back wide open in the flat on the other side. And the reason why was because that was his hot route against the blitz. The Broncos came with a, with a fire zone blitz. The hot route was open. Trainless never even looked that side. He was looking to the other side, which was a different coverage beater. They changed their coverage post-snap. In the, in the Denver game, you also then had a moment where Sam Darnold hit the running back in the flat. And it was off of a blitz and he's getting smacked right when he does it because he gets it to his outlet guy. And that was what you were seeing that was different between Sam Darnold and Trey Lance was that Sam Darnold's experience was really shining um, and showing. And that's where, again, it's tough because you want to want to believe in Trey Lance because you said like you see the ceiling, you know where it could go. But his inexperience was glaring. And that's where it's hard for the 49ers your quarterback number two is the guy who's going to have to step in. If your starter who you believe in goes down, not the guy that you believe can be, could be really, really good. If he gets 16 games under his belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a, you know, great way to put it. And overall, when you talk about the quarterback situation right now, I want to actually point to this comment here. Randy Daytona says, I think if any quarterback starting quarterback goes down, the team is likely screwed. In 99% of the cases, this is absolutely the truth. When your starting quarterback goes down, your team doesn't really face, you know, they don't stand a chance that much. And let's point to some of the top teams in the NFL. Joe Burrow, you know who his backup quarterback was for a while? It was Brandon Brandon Allen. Allen. (laughs) There's a reason that Brandon Allen right now is seen as a practice squad level quarterback or a quarterback three because – Teams don't divest that much into the back of quarterback position when you have a solidified starter. Patrick Mahomes rolled with Chad Henney for a good portion of time, right? I mean, Josh Allen, he's rolling with his brother, Kyle Allen, or Matt Barkley. You know, it was it was one of those guys. It's only teams where the quarterback situation is in limbo that you really go out and pay some money for a backup quarterback, right? It's teams where you might have a stopgap option or things like that. So that's why when you talk about a quarterback three, a significant portion of teams, about 
you know, I think it was nine of 32 in 2022. I have to check for 2023, but a significant portion of teams don't roster that third quarterback because it's a wasted roster spot. Understanding that your season is in limbo. If you lose that top option who you've divested a good amount of resources or whatever it is to build around, you know? And so that's why I'm not that big of a proponent of the third quarterback, even with the new rule, even with what, the, what we saw in the NFC championship game, if that happens, that's if it happens again, that's truly, truly an unprecedented situation. Yeah. And, you know, I think this also speaks to the philosophy of the 49ers and, and why they wanted a guy on a rookie a quarterback on a rookie contract is that they believe they could build a good enough roster that they don't need a stud at quarterback. They need a guy who's good enough and they can win if they build a strong enough roster around that. Now, Brock Purdy, uh, that's not saying Brock Purdy is not a stud. Uh, that's just speaking to the their sort of philosophy through this and what they've looked at and what they how they operated with Jimmy G and how they operated then uh, moving to Trey Lance and, and things that they believe they could be good enough with a good enough team by manipulating the cap of the quarterback on a rookie contract to where they I think they do believe that they could win a lot of games with Brandon Allen. I think they believe they can win a lot of games with Sam Darnold uh, or at least make it through their game. But, you know, to your point, it's, it's absolutely true. Just look at what happened with the, the Rams last year. Matt Stafford went down and they look like absolute kitty litter. Uh, you, you look at the Cardinals that, that with Colt McCoy under center. From a playoff I mean, contender in 2021 to the worst, one of the worst teams in the NFL. And one of the best seasons of hard knocks that we've ever seen. It was amazing to watch that happen to a to a, a division rival on uh, documentarized, you know, as it was going, which is fantastic. But you know, if Geno goes down in Seattle, Seattle's going from a playoff team and ascending team to where they're looking at, you know, now we have to get through this year. You can look at so many of these teams. I mean, you can look at the Jets right now. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, they they have to go back to. Uh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. I was blanking on his name. Uh, like I told Rowan, my my son, my 16-year-old son, kept me up about three hours last night. So I'm drinking a lot of coffee trying to get it. But you know, and Zach Wilson does not look great. And you know, where where are they at? They're they're a great defense with a with an okay offense. That's why they went out and got Aaron Rodgers. And if Aaron Rodgers goes down, we've seen it di during different stretches in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers would go down. The Packers suddenly turned into a pretty average team instead of a top playoff team. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. We like to think because we were spoiled last year of that number two and number three guy, you know, still being able to make it through. But the fact is in the NFL, your starting quarterback goes down. You're pretty much, you're, you're looking at like what we were in 2018 going, well, all right, let's tank for Bosa. I mean, that's exactly what it is overall. And at the moment, quarterback, though, it seems the 49ers, they've settled on their option. Brandon Allen is on the active roster. That shouldn't change likely right now. He's quarterback three. Let's go to running back, though. Running back, you know, a position. The 49ers kept all four of their top uh, options at running back. Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, Tyree Davis-Price. There was some speculation around potential trade for Elijah Mitchell. 49ers kind of, you know, quieted that down. They're keeping all four of their options. What do you think about this room? 53-man decision, and also compared to last year. I think Jordan Mason and Ty Davis-Price are making it really hard for the 49ers to uh, cut ties with Elijah Mitchell due to his availability issues. Um, now, that being said, I love Elijah Mitchell. I think when he's been on the field, he's been as good as anybody. 
and he's he's as good of a running back as there is in the NFL. But uh, and he's definitely a lot more rounded than Ty Davis Price and Jordan Mason are. Those guys had an opportunity with the injuries that continue to plague Elijah Mitchell, uh, where he's not available to really snag that number two spot behind Christian McCaffrey, and neither one, due to various issues, could do that. Ty Davis Price showing multiple problems in pass protection and Jordan Mason showing problems uh, catching the ball and also uh, with his ball security. And, but I, but those are two guys that you watch them carry the ball and you love them. You love how right. they carry the ball. It's everything else that you want to see become a full, full fledged player. And I don't think they want to let either one of those guys out the door because what can you rely on Elijah Mitchell being there? History has shown that you can't, but between the four of those, between the three of those guys, I would 100%. If they're all healthy, Elijah Mitchell's your number two. It's, it's not even a question. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's a position that it's hard to see take up four roster spots, but I also don't know why or how you can let any of those guys out the door. It feels like you let any of those guys out the door that they're going to be a stud for another team. It really does. Uh, they're going to be a stud somewhere. And so, I don't blame him. I don't blame him for, for not wanting to let him go out the door, but it's hard to see that situation just kind of be what it is. It feels like Christian McCaffrey is obviously your alpha, and it feels like you've got three different guys that each have their own issues to keep them from being that true number two or true number one. Uh, and so, you know, it is what it is. I like the way you outlined the issues. And I mean, your thought process is similar to mine. To me, I'm trying to figure out the best way to optimize the running back situation. But you have three guys. Elijah Mitchell is your clear-cut running back, too. And a lot of people might not like him as much as others just because of the hype the other two have gotten this summer or because Elijah Mitchell has faced a share, his fair share of injuries. But what is Elijah Mitchell? He provides consistency. He's never fumbled. He's never fumbled in his NFL career. And this is a guy who can take on a workload. He can also take on you know, a, uh, you know, a secondary role as well and excel in both. He's not bad as a pass catcher. He's not that experienced, but he's not bad as a pass catcher. And so he could serve a multitude of different roles. Whereas when you talk about Jordan Mason, fumble issues have occurred, right? The consistency when you give him a bigger workload is yet to be seen. Although he is such a powerful runner and you know the talent clearly is there as a runner. Whereas Tyrone Davis Price, the talent is there as a runner. But you would hope that the pass protection that was there in college would translate to the NFL and unfortunately, in the reps we've seen, it hasn't. And so there are some concerns. To me, I was questioning the possibility of an Elijah Mitchell trade this offseason. And I think the 49ers could have got it done. But I think right now, with the, the way that their roster looks and the desire to potentially move more on the ground this year, I think that you know you have Elijah Mitchell in the fold. And he's going to serve as your running back, too, with the, with the expected nature, unfortunately, that he'll get hurt at some point to where you can pivot to another player. I don't anticipate this being the running back room in 2024. I think that one of them will get moved depending on how the season goes. But in my opinion, this is the most talented room for runners that the 49ers have had in the Kyle Shanahan era because you have an elite option in Christian McCaffrey and three very capable backups that I think that I would be able to trust as running back twos once we see them a little more. But I think that, you know, the 49ers themselves believe that any of these guys could pick up the pace behind McCaffrey should an injury occur. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and the question becomes about the versatility is because we also have to remember is Debo as a runner and as the, the wide back and that whole thing, um, that versatility from your running back. If you're going to have Debo as a wide back and you don't have Christian McCaffrey on the field, your running back has to be able to block in the open field. He has to be able to catch in the open field. He has to be able to run routes because you can't put Debo Samuel in the backfield and then lose an absolute threat, any kind of a threat out at receiver or else now you're just telegraphing everything. Uh, so that's what made that offense so special with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey on the field at the same time is those guys are interchangeable. You can't lose that interchangeability when you go out there. When when they were doing that with in 2021 with Debo Samuel, you had Jeff Wilson out there who was who turned into almost like a half fullback that he was a guy who could block in the open field and was doing a phenomenal job at it. So, you know, there's there's things there that uh that the versatility of those guys have to they have to bring that and to be that running back that sees the field. And that's what I want to see from from all three of those is availability from Elijah Mitchell mm -hmm. and then versatility from Ty Davis Price and Jordan Mason. I agree. And I mean, I think that something that I was talking about this offseason and we saw glimpses of it more so in a training camp than preseason was when Christian McCaffrey goes off the field, I think the 49ers want to not replicate Christian McCaffrey. You can't do that, but replicate a player who could play in his role and still be like, still have success because you don't want to take away the package of plays that Christian McCaffrey allows you to have on the field with him as a receiver out the door when you have somebody else in the game because it limits you as an offense. And so I thought the 49ers, you know, whoever ended up being their running back two or whoever ended up getting a, line, a more of a lion's share during training camp would be the guy that could prove that they, uh, they could handle third down back role and receiver role. Now, I don't know, like, I don't know necessarily if Jordan Mason's pass protection is going to hold up. Uh, we, we've seen unfortunate stuff from Ty Davis Price, but I do like what I've seen from Mason for the second consecutive offseason as a receiver. I think that he has some potential there. The one main play in preseason was the screen pass he dropped, I believe, in week one, um, the one that could have potentially gone for a touchdown. But overall, the body of work, I've liked what I've seen from Mason as a receiver. Intrigued to see, you know, who ends up being that receiving back if Christian McCaffrey's not on the field. Absolutely. I think, yep. Let's go on to wide receiver. We've got six guys on the roster. Debo Samuel, Danny Gray, D, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Ray, Ray McLeod, Jawan Jennings, and then the rookie Ronnie Bell. What did you think about this group? So, you know, obviously I think they're keeping Ray Ray McLeod on because of his body of work. And even with the injury, uh, the, the one surprised me is Danny Gray, just because of he wasn't really there for a lot of camp. Uh, he's been dealing with his injury issues and uh, how good that Conley looked during the preseason. I really felt like Conley was had a chance to push Danny Gray out of the receiver room, but the 49ers, they saw enough from Danny Gray in his growth as, as a route runner, as a blocker that he could add to the team with that speed. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan loves to have a speedy wide receiver on the field. He really does people, you know, and this goes back to, I talked about this on my show last night that, People, uh, there was a narrative out there that I just never bought into, which was Danny Gray was drafted because of Trey Lance. And I've never bought into that because, and, and the reason why is the 49ers had Marquise Goodwin on the team who, when he was with us, was one of the fastest men in the NFL. Remember, it was always 
come down to between him and Tyree Kill of who is actually the fastest guy in the NFL. And uh, he's an Olympic athlete who was one of the fastest men in the NFL. And we had Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard as our quarterbacks. And Marquise Goodwin was a faster 40-yard time guy than Danny Gray. And so you can't tell me that Kyle Shanahan was bringing Danny Gray on only because Trey Lance and he had a big arm. Right. He brought him on because he loves to be able to stretch those zones out even more with speed because it, it's not about being able to run 60 yards down the field and have your quarterback hit you. It's really how far can you go in 3.8 seconds? That's what it's about because you're going to be looking at these at how far can you push the corner down the field to open it up for our over route that's coming across. How far can you push the safety back for, uh, for, for a, a deep in route or a post route coming in behind it. Um, you know, that's what you're looking at. That's why that speed is important. Very rarely were we going to actually bomb the bomb, the, the football 60 yards down the field. It was really about, can your quarterback throw it 40, 50 yards and you can take advantage of Danny Gray's speed and Brock Purdy, Jimmy G, they could throw it that far that we just, it's not a big part of the offense. Kyle Shanahan loves that speed. So obviously keeping Danny Gray on is really speaking to that and what they believe that he can do. So that was the surprise to me. Other than that, you know, that that receiver room, when you look at the top three, uh, I think they're as good as anybody in the NFL at this point, especially with how Brandon Ayuk has looked. I mean, I'm excited for Brandon Ayuk. I think he's going to be a monster this year. He wants to get paid. Now, will that be with the 49ers kind of seeing how the cap is, is playing out over the next couple of seasons? I think that's going to be real tough. It's going to be real tough to keep him on there. Um, but he's playing for a paycheck and he knows that, you know, he can, he can get a Debo size cash in uh, and, and turn into that true number one. He turns into that true number one. This offense is going to really go into the stratosphere. You said it right, and I mean, uh, when you talk about these receivers, we'll start with Danny Gray. Now, I thought Danny Gray honestly improved a lot, tremendously from last year. Like last year, there was a serious concern about Danny Gray potentially not making the roster because he was getting jammed in, in training camp at the line of scrimmage in one-on-ones. Like it was his release package wasn't developed, but this was known from his college tape. When you see it overall. From his college tape, Gray was very raw as a route runner and is really more of a technician. You'd see him lose speed at times when he was running um, non-go routes and things like that. I think Gray has found a better way to utilize his speed this year. He's beating, you know, he's beating uh, cornerbacks off the break, and then obviously with that speed and the way that he's going with his really with his newfound release package, I think that it's better, and I think that. I said this earlier. I think this at this point, Gray isn't a wasted pick. Is some of his value gone with Trey Lance now out of the fold and Brock Purdy set in stone as the starting quarterback? Sure. I don't think the 49ers are going to be able to stretch the field by passing downfield as much as they could have with Trey Lance. But again, like uh, right now, Purdy is clearly the better quarterback in terms of um, in terms of in-game tape. And with Gray's talents, I still think that you can find a way to use him. And I think that he could be that Ray Ray McLeod gadget type of player in 2024. I've always projected Danny Gray this offseason to be more of a 2024 player. Even with his strides, I think that the 49ers are insulated right now at receiver to where they can hold on to Danny Gray and make him really a featured player in 24 as a gadget type of player like Ray Ray McLeod and involve him in those type of plays while his blocking, which seems to have improved a little bit, can get him on the field in different scenarios as well. 
Don't mind him being on the roster. I do envision, though, him or Ray Ray McLeod, at least one of them, hitting IR. That allows Chris Conley or Willie Sneed to return. I think one of them will make the 53, leaving the 49ers with five receivers. The other goes to the practice squad with Tay Martin and could be a potential call-up come week one. I I, I think uh, I was I was a little uh, saddened to see Willie Sneed just because of how, you know, he was that vet presence that you really like. And he's been a guy that has always just found a way to be productive, not as a number one, wherever he's been. And so uh, he's kind of kind of a Mr. Reliable there at receiver. Not, nothing amazingly special, but man, just a tough, good football player. And so uh, I would I would not be upset to see Willie Sneed come back into the fold. No, I wouldn't. And I think the 49ers wouldn't either. And so, I, yeah, I don't mind it at all. Let's go to tight ends, though. Got some interesting thoughts on tight ends. The 49ers rolled with four tight ends this year. Um, they're going George Kittle, Charlie Warner, Braden Willis, and Ross Welly. They decided to cut Troy Fumagalli and also stash Cameron Latu, placing one on season-ending IR, meaning he is done for the year. 49ers will get him back in 24. What do you think about that? You know, the, the Latu situation, uh, while I was a big Latu guy, I, I, seeing him in preseason, I think it's the right move. He needs a red shirt. You know, this was a converted defensive end at Alabama, and he's got a lot to learn as far as the nuances of playing the position in the NFL. Uh, you know, he's obviously dealing with the dropsies, which was tough because one thing I liked about him in college was he was a natural hands hands catcher. Uh, then all of a sudden the dropsies showed up, and, and I was telling people for a couple months, I'm like, the one thing I really like about this guy, he's a natural hands catcher. He's a big red zone target, and then he was going and dropping everything, throwing his way for two weeks and people are look or texting me going dude i thought you said this guy was had good hands i'm like well i thought and uh you know but I, I he needs a red shirt here he really does he needs to grow into his frame he needs to get into an nfl weight training system now because understand the system he came out of in alabama had has moved very much away from strength and powerlifting that the the strength and conditioning program there at Alabama is much more about resistance training. It's a lot more about uh, pliability and flexibility. And they've really moved away from a lot of heavy progressive overload weight training. And where that tends to hurt you is when you're tight end going against defensive ends and run blocking. And he's because he he he's a guy that when you see him, I saw him at the senior bowl, he doesn't look as big as he should with his frame that he looks like he needs to be about 15 pounds heavier. And I think that's what he needs to spend a year doing in an NFL uh, weight training system and really bulk up and be able to be a guy that can be consistent in the run game. Um, that's what they really need. Now, a surprise cut to me was Troy Fumagalli. I really felt I agree. that Fumagalli yeah. was going to push uh, Charlie Warner or Ross Dwelly down the depth chart and make them expendable because, man, the guy was showing you everything that you need you wanted to see from a tight end in the preseason. Uh, I think I think it came down to they wanted to keep Braden Willis for the upside. Dude, when you see him on, on tape, he popped. His athleticism popped. Um, and you could really see how well smooth he moved. Uh, I think that the tight end position, it just kind of seems a little – feels like you always want a little bit more from Dwelly and Warner. Like they're always, they're always just good enough to hurt you. Uh, that they're just good enough to see the field, but bad enough to really cost you at different times in the game. And so, you know, I, I've wanted to see an upgrade there for a little while, and it just feels like this season we haven't been able to do that, but there is some good potential there behind George Kittle. If George Kittle, though, goes down, 
Oh, this team, it, that's, a, that's a whole different story, unfortunately, for the 49ers if Kittle goes down. Yeah, you know, it feels like uh, the offense is changing, uh, is taking a 90-degree turn should Kittle go down. No. I like your thoughts on the tight end group. Personally, I agree with you. I thought Fumagalli was um, the best. Him and Warner, well, in the preseason, he was the best option behind uh, George Kittle. I thought he, you know, he, I thought he flashed a lot. And I thought he could have been, you know, worthy of a uh, of a spot on the fifty three. Now the 49ers seems like they played it well because Fumagalli is expected to return, I believe, to the practice squad, and so they're keeping a talent that they could have on the fifty three on the practice squad after he went unclaimed. But at the tight end position, this is another one where I'm thinking, really, this the talent at this group is not as high as you'd expect. Um, you know, you lost Cameron Latu. First, I'll go with the positive. I love the move to stash Cameron Latu on IR. I think he needs a reset uh, mentally and physically. I think he needs a reset, giving him the full year to not only recover from the meniscus injury, but also get ready to play football. Because people don't understand, tight end is one of the most difficult positions to develop. And really, you know, it takes a while for you to grow as a tight end in the NFL, given the complexities, both physically and mentally at the position. And so I like the move for that. But I don't know if I would have rostered four tight ends over a guy like Deshaun Jameson, who I think could have provided more week one value and also could have been good depth. You know, understanding this isn't the strongest group. I think you could have at least had two of the guys. If Fumagalli made it through waivers, I thought Ross Dwelly would make it through waivers as well. And I think you could have had three tight ends or done some IR type of moves and brought a fourth one back later. Would have probably preferred Deshaun Jameson, even though it's the sixth corner, would have probably preferred him over one of these tight ends. And if I'm talking about tight ends, I also think I'm more inclined to prefer Troy Fumagalli. Now, the reason Ross Dwelly makes this team is because he's seen as Mr. Reliable, right, in the locker room. He's that he's the guy who's been there for six years. He's the guy who has an understanding of the locker room, I mean, uh, understanding of the playbook and things like that. He seems like a, a guy the staff likes, but he's never a guy that seems like the, st like the staff likes him, but not enough to ever really see significant playing time. Warner, pure blocker. You're not going to see much out of him. Like you said, a guy who you kind of want some more from. Both of them, not necessarily you're going to get it. But to me, at tight end, would not have minded if they went with three, given the talent at the room. Um, cut Ross Dwelly, rostered a guy like Deshaun Jameson, or gone with Troy Fumagalli as well. Still, 49ers have all their guys, and they're moving forward with the four. Yeah, and I think the other part that comes into play is also – both Ross Dwelly and Charlie Warner being able to be uh, that fullback, that second fullback spot as well. And, and having enough time in the system and knowing the playbook of all the shifts, all the motions, all the blocking angles, all the different things that, that use does and Kittle do, does that you're looking at with both those guys. Now, if you have George Kittle go down, okay, you need a guy who can do everything and know everything that the tight end is supposed to do. And then if George Kittle goes down and Kyle Juszczyk go down, you know, and you, you're sitting there with Cameron Latu or, you know, even if he, he was healthy and Braden Willis or Fumagalli and Braden Willis, do you feel comfortable putting Fumagalli and Braden Willis into that fullback spot or right. uh, that, that tight end spot and sliding 70 routes around? I really think it's just familiarity in the system because you look at at the really that fourth tight end spot, the the all the guys that were looking for that position, Latu, Braden Willis, Fumagalli, these are all guys who are new to the system this year. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's the familiarity in the system. Uh, they want to get all three of these guys with the season under the belt. And I would not be surprised if next season we see a, comp a very different tight end room with Dwelly and Warner moving on. I think that's, no, that's where this I is agree. developing. 
And this is kind of, you know, balancing the two worlds of the present versus the future because the 49ers clearly want an upgrade at that backup tight end spot. That's why they invested two draft picks into it. Personally, I wasn't as high on Cameron Latu. Like Braden Willis a little more coming out of the draft. But, you know, you've got two players that the 49ers themselves believe in in the organization and two guys who you could see, you know, may see significant action in 2022, or sorry, 2024, excuse me, on the years, um, see significant action there. And yeah, you are right in that. And the familiarity, especially with that fullback role um, could help. And also I think Ross Dwelly is more so the guy, if Kittle gets injured to take over the Kittle role while Warner remains in his own role with the blocking. Cause I think they trust Dwelly at least downfield a little more compared to the other options. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Let's go to offensive line, though. The 49ers went a little different in offensive line. They took nine players at offensive line, despite, you know, some of the, the depth concerns that people have pointed out at this uh, at this room. But you got your five starters, Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel, Spencer Burford, Colt McKivitz. You've got your four backups, John Feliciano, Jalen Moore, Matt Pryor, Nick Sakel. What are you thinking about the offensive line? I know we talked on it earlier, but this room compared to last year as well. You know, uh, starting five, I feel pretty similar to where I did last season. Uh, feeling pretty good about the starting five. Not great if we're in a situation where we're dropping back and passing a lot, but that's not the way the 49ers football is. 49ers football is about the run game. It's about the play-action pass. It's about keeping those things off balance. And so uh, Kyle builds his team not in the way that he – uh, might have to scramble for he builds it for what he a vision of what he wants to do uh, you know it's kind of like a golfer you don't hope that you don't hit it out into the woods you aim to hit it in the fairway and so that's what they do with building this team you aim to build your team the way you want to run it which is a balance 50 50 keep the keep them off balance uh the other team off balance and you're exposing your guys very few times to obvious passing situations so in that way, I feel pretty good. I think they're they're going to be a very good run blocking group. Uh, I feel very very good about that, especially with the way that Jake Brendel was coming along at the end of last year. After that, though, I feel very like I need some tums. Uh, should anybody go down, um, don't feel great about uh, a lot of our backups. I feel like um, there's there's uh, le they're leaving much to be desired. And so, Good you know, you know, it, yeah. you know that that somebody's going to get hurt there. It's just going to be who is it and how much of a drop off is it going to be? No, I agree. I think that that is a, a point you have to make. Offensive line starters wise, I'm fine with them. I have them a little. I'm ranking them a little lower than I did coming out of last year. Thought with McGlinchey, if McGlinchey was healthy last year, they would have been a top 12 unit, I said, um, coming into the year. And I think that, you know, they were in that somewhere in that 10 to 12 range, somewhere in the top 10. This year, I think they'll, they'll still be a solid unit, but I have more as like a top 12 to top 15 unit, somewhere in that range. Still good enough, but a little bit of a step off from last year with the way that this offensive line unit is. Um, but the backups is truly where you're concerned. Last year, you had a, you know, swing tackle who you're not necessarily as confident in in Colton McKivitz, but he, he was able to do the job. And that guy's your starter. Like, you, you, your backup went to your starter. That's saying something. And then your backup offensive lineman. I mean, you have a lot of turnover in this room. Daniel Brunskill, nothing special, right? It's not like he's an elite-level starter type of player that could develop or something like that. But he's consistent. 
And he was a guy who was in the building for a quite a, quite some time, you know, a versatile player who was in the building for quite some time. You're replacing him with John Feliciano, who has had some flashes, but also not as strong as maybe you wanted, wanted to see in the preseason. But he's a new guy. He's a completely new guy um, in, in, in this offense. And he's a veteran. He's picked up the system. It seems pretty fine, but he's a new guy. And then you look at the back end. You've got now two backup tackles. Jalen Moore was a guy who you were not considering last year to play that swing tackle role. In fact, you know, even this year, the 49ers offensive line coach, Chris Forster, has said he wants to see some more from Jalen Moore. Matt Pryor has been exclusively on the right tackle. Thought he did have a fine preseason. Didn't didn't hate his preseason. I thought it was okay. Better than uh, what he put in training camp. But still, when you look at him as a starter in the NFL and his body of work, it's underwhelming. It, it, that's no way to see it. And Nick Sakel, I personally don't think he sees the field this year. If the 49ers have depth concerns at guard, I think they'll sign someone to the practice squad or the active roster. And they'll in a, Nick Sakel might be an inactive for every single week this year. Um, I think they kept him more so as a, a chance to potentially develop him for one more year and kind of stash him for 2024. Yeah, and I think they there there may also be the idea of uh, Nick Sakel being being a guy that possibly can play center and fill into that role. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that preseason, but I think there's something there that um, that they like uh, as far as that. Now it's hard to see when you see the kind of holds that he's getting flagged for and moments where he's just getting put on his back uh, in preseason by number twos. You know, that's, that's a little hard to stomach there. Um, I will say that I am, glad to see the tackles we have over Leroy Watson. He was a guy that when uh, when you watch the tape of him in Denver, he was getting mauled multiple times. Uh, he his his handwork left much to be desired. Uh, he he was basically what you found out after that game is he couldn't he was susceptible to a chop move. Anybody came with a chop and he was done and those arms would go flying down. And I mean, because he had some like Mike McGlinchey on Twitter type of uh, type of moments where he got whooped so bad uh, in that Denver game. And so, you know, uh, I'm glad that he's not there. The, the big thing was, you know, like we talked about earlier with Il Manning, um, I think it comes down to they like that length. They really do. They like that yeah. length at tackle. You're you're just not going to be able to stand up to the Knicks to the the Von Millers of the world to be able to keep those at bay. A Nick Zakel is the, the one though that I, I think it just comes down to versatility and knowledge of the system. Should they need a a swing guy on the interior, he can play any guard position. He can play the center position. Um, I really think that's what it comes down to. Whereas Ill Manning was was a feisty guy at tackle. I don't think they would feel comfortable at all plugging him in at center uh, should that happen and they they like the size of the tackles that they had and they they Jalen Moore's been a guy they've been high on for a little while you know and he's just he dealt with some injury issues in the past uh, Matt Pryor's a guy obviously that they they feel can get in and that they, they can at least move through some games uh so Il Manning was clearly at, at least your number three uh backup tackle and so what you need from if you're going to have a guy there, he needs to be able to play more spots, and he just hasn't enough time. And I really do think they thought they were going to stash him on the practice squad, give him time to learn some other positions. Uh, it just didn't work out. 
No, I, I agree. And you're talking about the offensive line here. I said it earlier. I'm not as concerned really about the 49ers losing Il Manning because I do believe they have a similar player who's a little higher in his trajectory and where he'll play in the NFL in Jason Poe. The reason being um, both of them likely project as centers in the NFL. Manning could play guard because he's 6'2". He's got a little better length for sure than Jason Poe, who is solely refined to center. Um, but they're both undersized players that, you know, you do uh, think need some development. And I don't know if the 49ers truly are – we haven't seen that capability yet of them being able to develop those those type of players into centers because Nick Zakel has – they've tried him at a center a couple of times. They've tried Poe at center a couple of times. We've yet to see, you know, um, the the – I guess them reaping the rewards so far, but at offensive line, I mean, Il Manning, he, he was better than Nick Sakel for sure, in my opinion, in the preseason. But this one, I'm not as I'm not as down on as losing Jamison uh, this offseason. Still, like Johnny said for this question here, why Nick Sakel over Manning? One, the size, the measurables, and um, I think they probably, if they're looking at it in a way of we need one of these guys to potentially play center when they look at Il Manning or Nick Zakel. I think they like Nick Zakel more as that at that position with at, at that center guard position because we haven't seen right Manning at guard yet. And I think again when you place him up against you know the ones, it'll be a little bit of a different story. And so that's kind of where I'm thinking about it. Uh, absolutely. Sorry, just one of the comments. Ah, oh, the short stuff. That's funny. But um, let's go real quick. Let's hammer through the defense. Let's start with the defensive line. Um, 49ers only went with eight. Obviously, Nick Bosa not involved. What are you thinking there? Uh, at starting unit, I feel better than last year's starting unit. I mean, obviously, Javon Hargrave, big addition, big-time addition. Uh, and I think I think the, the upgrade of Javon Hargrave in there versus, you know, our rotation of different guys that we had on the interior last year um, is better than anything we may lose of on the edge. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's one that we're, we're not sure if we're going to lose on the edge, you know, with Samson Ebucom departing and Cleveland Farrell may be coming in Drake Jackson. We're still not clear on who is going to be the week one starter there. Uh, we're still not clear on who's going to be the week one starter in both spot either, but um you know, uh, overall, the starting four should it shake down in in a some sort of fashion of Bosa, Armstead, Hargrave, and then either Cleveland Farrell or Drake Jackson. I feel great about that line. Uh, now, where it comes down to behind that is the secondary defensive line. I'm not feeling as great as I did last year about it. I felt like, you know, we had a guy like Jordan Willis last year that uh, was a high effort guy, high motor guy that was very dependable on the edge and was really making some flashy plays. I will say this real end. quick. He is there in free agency. He is. And, you know, the question becomes of – you have to let go of either Robert Beal or Drake Jackson, I think, to bring Jordan Willis back in. Uh, Robert Beal is a guy that we, I, I haven't seen anything really of him in preseason. Um, very little playing time, but you know, obviously they feel they feel decent about that. Uh, the, the The surprise cut to me was actually Ty McGill. I th I thought last year he he put some really good tape out there. I thought preseason he was playing really solid. Now I do believe that they he may be another practice squad guy that they look to bring back. Um, but uh, the 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 frustrating thing with the defensive line, the only only spot there that I'm I'm looking at, and I look at this list and I go, 
hmm. is Javon Kinlaw. Just because the guy is so stinking athletically gifted and physically gifted, but is so technically unsound, it is so frustrating. It's beyond frustrating to watch him on film because he will have moments where he looks like the guy they picked. And then there's moments where you sit there and go, if he just looked as good as T.Y. McGill, I would be fine. Mm-hmm. There's moments that he will just get ejected out of the hole and take himself out of a play. And it just drives me insane. He'll shoot gaps. He turns his body to try and wiggle past a guard, and it's on a run play, and he gets washed down the line, and there's a massive hole, and the and the run game is wide open for the other team for eight, nine yards. And so that is something that just frustrates me a lot with Javon Kinlaw is you feel like, okay, if you're going to be there, I I would rather you not be there and have a T.Y. McGill there and know that I'm not going to get that massive upside. I'm just getting a solid rotational guy than have the guy there that sometimes flashes great plays and then other times is a huge liability. The consistency is so frustrating there with Javon Kinlaw. And so I worry about him even on the rotational side right now of, Unless he's given a, it, it's a very specific, you're using him on pass rushing downs as a rotational guy. I have a hard time trusting him on the field. So I feel decent about our defensive line, but Javon Kinlaw just makes me worried. I was hoping to see more growth this year to really feel good about that rotational group coming in that plays about 25% of the snaps. Right now, I'm concerned he's going to be a liability. I, I mean, when you talk about the defensive line, I like what you pointed out. You start with the starters. Starters, you're solid. They're better than last year because you have three really, really solid players compared to the rotation that they had last year. Depth, though, I honestly think this is one of the more concerning depth groups, even though that hasn't been the case in you know in the past. And the re- one of my reasonings this year was I thought the 49ers shouldn't go overboard at defensive line like they've gone in years past because I don't think they have as much talent as they had in years past on the depth. That's why I wasn't. Uh, I was okay with them going eight players, and I do agree with you. The one guy that I thought that should have made the roster that uh, didn't, but is on the practice squad, so it all worked out, is Ty McGill. I thought he, you know, I thought he played himself to a roster spot. The 49ers obviously probably heard, you know, they were going to be able to stash him back on the practice squad, and he's a guy who reporters have already said he could see a call up to the 53. He was the one guy who I thought, you know, cut. Uh, you know, could have made the roster spot. Um, I had Austin Bryant and I had Austin Bryant and uh, not Kerry Hyder, but I had Austin Bryant and T.Y. McGill making it. But Bryant, obviously, he's going to be brought back. It seems like they'll probably put Robert Beal or Kalia Davis, maybe both on injured reserve and then bring back Austin Bryant and Kerry Hyder. Um, cool, they stashed Beal. I think he probably gets claimed. Um, same with Kalia Davis. It seems like he probably could have gotten claimed. Um, given he had one good preseason game on tape and also the measurables that could have made him a third round pick had he not torn his ACL last year. And so I think both could have gotten claimed. So good on the 49ers for keeping both of them um, at defensive line. My main concern is the run defense. Um, who who can you really trust in the backup unit run defensive wise, um, especially because Javon Hargrave isn't as sound as a run defender, um, you know, as you might've had in the past. And so that's my main concern. Yeah. And, you know, I do expect uh, Kalia Davis to go on short term IR uh, to to at least get, you know, kind of ramped back up. The one thing that you do like about Kalia Davis and seeing him out there um, was that and, and I, I think he made T.Y. McGill uh, expendable, which was 
he's he's a very similar body type to Kale to T.Y. McGill, Kalia Davis's, but he gives you a little more athleticism. Uh, you can see by the way he moves that he just moves a little bit better. T.Y. McGill was very technically sound. You know, he was a guy that uh, played very well, uh, made a lot of hustle plays. Kalia Davis just looks like a different level of player uh, physically than T.Y. McGill. And so, you know, that's, I think, what they love about Kalia Davis, that he really does look like a, a guy who could be a good – he, he kind of reminds you of uh, – uh, I'm totally blanking uh, – our – defensive tackle that ended up going to the to denver dj um, jones dj jones yeah i kept thinking I, my mind kept saying dj reed and i was like no it's not dj reed that's a defensive back um but i because i was a huge dj jones fan i love me DJ too. jones and kalia davis reminds you of dj jones he really does with the way he moves and so um you know i, I think that's what, where they're loving with him uh just Man, T.Y. McGill is a guy that I just really liked, and I, and I liked watching him in preseason. Uh, so it's hard to see him sit there on the practice squad knowing that he could get plucked. Um, it's it's hard with the Kinlaw situation sitting there. Uh, I don't think the 49ers have another choice. I mean, you have a lot of money, guaranteed money, invested into Kinlaw, so you can't really move on from him. Uh, but I I just feel like I want to I want to see the light bulb go off. That's what I really want to see. Mm -hmm. And if the light bulb goes off for him, I will feel really good about our defensive line rotation. If it continues to be off like it is right now, uh, I have some concerns. I think that that's a, that's a good point. Um, at the moment, Kalia Davis, like, I mean, I was a huge fan of him. I thought that was the steal of the draft last year. I thought they, I liked their sixth round picks last year. I thought that was the steal of the draft. And I mean, Kalia Davis, he was drafted to be somewhat like a DJ Jones replacement in a way, at least down the line. And it's a, it's a good sign so far. I was glad to see him play. You know, it's been a minute, just uh, especially right before the, right before the season starts, get his feet wet because that that'll be like the main meaningful playing time that he'll see at least early on in the season. So good to see him get his feet wet and out there and good to see the 49ers be able to stash him as well. Let's move on to linebacker though. The 49ers, they go with the, you know, they, they go with both of their rookies at linebacker. Um, a good sign of confidence in them. They went, I believe, six deep at linebacker. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Oren Burks, Jalen Graham, D. Winters, and Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. What did you think about this group? You know, I actually feel better about this group than I did last year. I think this is uh, one of the groups that really improved upon last year. Uh, I, I put out a video looking at risers and fallers. Uh, if anybody was able to catch that after the Raiders game. And one thing I talked about at the end of that video was how I felt like the line, the competition at linebacker, the training camp battle at linebacker was low key, probably the, the biggest battle of camp and the toughest battle at camp where you, you saw the most competition and you saw guys rising, which was, and I said, I Jalen Graham and D winters were pushing Marcelino McCrary ball down the depth chart. That's what it looked like to me. When you look at their performance from the first two preseason games, I saw both those guys ascending and McCurry ball as a guy that was getting pushed down. Uh, you could see it happening in real time and not just because of snaps, but because of performance on the field. And you could see the difference in players that they were uh, Jalen Graham really shined in preseason. I mean, he, he has a knack for linebacker. And so I love the youth movement there. They, they both have, great sideline to sideline speed they both were filling the hole really aggressively Jalen graham just needs to learn to recognize pass passing uh plays a little bit more uh he was a, he was getting abused pretty hard in some play action passes but he has that ability that you you don't want to lose which is the ability to fill the hole 
with violence quickly. You have to have that at linebacker to stop the run. Because if you can't stop the run like that, then you, it doesn't matter if you can drop on some passes. All right, you're going to get abused either way. So, you know, love the the linebacker position there. I love our depth. I'm feeling great about it. Fred Warner in the preseason time he got, man, he was looking like all pro Fred. He's looking like mid-season form. Fred Warner was just looking like just screaming off the tape. He uh, wants to there. play, man. He's ready. Yeah, so I feel fantastic about our linebacker. I, I, I'm very confident in this group. I think that this group is solid. You know, you have your two starters. I think the 49ers are going to be in nickel anyway a lot. So that third linebacker role isn't as, you know, it's not as valuable, not not valuable, but not as important as it might have been where, you know, um, where it might have been in the past. But overall, I mean, you look at this depth. I like both linebackers um, that are rookies. And I think the roster politics really came into play here a little bit more. And it was fixated primarily on the preseason. I thought Marceline McCurry's ball, McCurry ball, his stock dropped a lot in the preseason compared to where he might have been at and like, you know, coming out of training camp, he might have had that number three spot and then kind of dropped a little bit to the where to the point where the 49ers, they really had to make sure they they got this situation right because they have eight linebackers that they like in this group. And if they wanted to not trade any of them, you had to find a way to keep all eight. They found a way to keep all eight. Curtis Robinson, McCurry ball seemingly uh, made it to the practice squad. They're likely to be signed, and now you have your six guys. This was this was my six. Um, I projected the 49ers to carry six the day before, and this was the six. I thought DFF had a fine uh, end of the preseason uh, to where he got that sixth spot, but liked what I saw from both rookies, and uh, it's a good sign to see both of them make the practice uh, – sorry, not practice squad, the active roster. Oren Burks seems like he's the projected uh, strong side linebacker in those, um, in those uh, base situations. Fine with that, and his special teams value is there. But like what I see from the linebackers, this is a strong, strong unit, and the 49ers have depth even on the practice squad. Absolutely. I mean, now obviously you lose a Fred Warner, you lose a Dre Greenlaw, there's going to be drop-off. You could go to uh, you know, a, a, a Pro Bowl linebacker and you're going to have a drop-off from Fred Warner you know, kind of a situation. But um, – it's not a situation where you're sitting there going, "Oh crap, we don't even have a starting caliber guy," or we we're, we're yeah. left with we're left with uh you know what the line what San Francisco had maybe you know circa 2016 at linebacker. Uh, you're not sitting there or 2015 at linebacker. You're not not staring at one of those situations. You're looking at a, a situation where you feel comfortable with those guys coming in, especially with the defensive line. So feel great about the linebacker position. I agree. Let's go to corners. Corners is an interesting group. Uh, the 49ers carry five. Uh, they go with their two starters, Traverius Ward, Diameter Lenore. Their two outside guys in Samuel Womack and Avery Thomas. And then their nickel and Isaiah Oliver. Five corners. What do you think here? You know, Isaiah Oliver was very underwhelming in the preseason. And, I, and this was another situation I was talking about during the preseason in some of my videos and podcasts. Of, like, I felt like the, the two biggest battles at camp were actually at nickel. And because everyone was talking about the quarterback battle. And I thought, yeah, I don't think that's the the the, right. the, the stiffest competition. I think the stiffest competition is at nickel and at linebacker where Isaiah Oliver was playing himself out of a starting spot. I think that was the bigger, bigger surprise there is that it was expected that Isaiah Oliver was going to come in and he was going to solidify that position. It was going to be great. And we're going to roll. 
And then he started to play himself out of that position. The 49ers then are looking at, okay, who are we going to put in this position? And what are we going to do here? And what's going to create our best five defensive backs on the field? Because as you said, most of the time you're in nickel, something like 70% of the time teams are in nickel. Generally, I think last year we were like 68% in nickel, somewhere around there. And, you know, Isaiah Oliver is, is now looking like he's going to be that reserve nickel spot. Now, I do like how he showed up in, in the Chargers game. He's bringing some of that physicality you want to see from that spot because because you're in nickel all the time, your nickel player has to be able to tackle. He has to be able to get physical. He has to be able to be that overhang defender and really get in, in the mix on some of those run lanes. And so I liked that. I don't like how he was playing coverage a lot. He was getting he was getting he was getting worked physically by some smaller receivers down the field which is not what you want to see uh, demo obviously has experience there has played there at a, at a high level last year before uh, he was moved back outside and jimmy ward slid into that nickel position and really solidified that i i think ambry thomas is a guy that man i'm i was really liking what i was seeing this year uh this preseason um you know it was showing you a lot of what you were what you were seeing that made you excited about him at the end of the 2021 season of the athleticism of the speed of the length of everything that you liked from him at from as an outside guy was showing you that in this preseason. So I like where he's kind of bounced back from, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a slump or just kind of falling down the depth chart in 2022 and Samuel Womack, man, he's been, he's been coming along. He was a guy that it looked like his head was just spinning around and things were going hundred miles an hour for him as a rookie. Uh, he had a strong training camp as a rookie, but then once the real game started, it was just like, he was, he was trying to figure everything out and the game was moving so fast for him. seems like that's really slowed down that there's a confidence there. And so I I'm really liking the outside situation this year. I think this is a better outside situation than we had last year. Even when you were going into the season with, uh, with Mooney Ward and you had Emmanuel Mosley who felt good about and Demo who, you know, ended up having a resurgent year. Uh, I think last year we had three guys who could play the outside pretty well. Um, I think right now we have four guys who can play the outside really well and that you would be be fairly confident in them being on the field. I mean, are they going to be an all pro group of everyone? No, they're going to give some stuff up, but that's life as a corner in the NFL. Uh, the position that I'm not so sure about is nickel af after Demo. I think Demo is going to do a great. I think there are going to be some learning bumps that go on there as he's adjusting back to nickel. Uh, if he goes down though, I worry about Isaiah Oliver. I just, I feel like he's going to be a liability there. Maybe he won't. Maybe as the season progresses, you get that defensive line and you get your linebackers in there. That, that can be something that isn't as much of an issue, but preseason man, he, he played himself out of a spot. Isaiah Oliver. He, he, he came into this off season with a guaranteed starting spot and he lost it. Now, when we talk about the group, I like the one point – before we get to the negative, I like the one point you made about having three good outside guys and now four good outside guys this year. I agree. I watched – I went through training camp, and I liked what I saw from Samuel Womack. He looks like an NFL cornerback. He looks bigger than last year. You know, the size is always going to be the issue with him at 5'9", but he looks – stronger he looks like he can match up you know in that press man system the 49ers like to run ambry thomas up and down training camp i thought he had a better end not a great start a better end and then the preseason was phenomenal i mean compared to what you expected from ambry thomas it was much better than what you uh you know uh he really got beat he got beat maybe a couple of times the main one was that double move i believe at the 
the second half of the or the first half at the end in the Broncos game, but he was holding up a lot, you know. And so that's that's confident to see. I like the confidence brewing out of Amory Thomas. Nickel, I'm not confident. And that's why I would have preferred Deshaun Jameson come in there because the 49ers were saying right before, you know, uh, before the start of the preseason, they wanted to experiment and try and see if Jameson could get some nickel reps. And you saw it happen in practice, not as much the preseason, but you saw it happen in practice. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that Deshaun Jameson could have had a role there had that happened. Personally, with the roster politics not in mind, what I would have done was cut Isaiah Oliver and kept Sean Jameson, potentially even Quantrez Knight. I think that that could have been, if the 49ers wanted to carry five, I would have kept Sean Jameson over uh, over Isaiah Oliver. However, Isaiah Oliver was guaranteed $2.9 million at signing. That was his dead cap hit this year, and the 49ers did not want to you know hold that in. Um, and rather, he's going to be a one-year deal. They said the possibility of a dual nickel roll where Oliver kind of goes against the bigger guys, maybe the tight ends more often and more so in the run game. Demo kind of takes the coverage responsibilities, but still he underwhelmed. He underwhelmed a lot. And this was probably Steve Wilkes's worst decision so far um, in terms of bringing him in because the 49ers could have had a better nickel for cheaper for sure. And they also have intriguing options that they had on their roster. One now that is gone. This is one where I'm confident in the outside group, like you said, but I think that personnel-wise, they could have gone and approached this a little differently. Yeah, and you know the Isaiah Oliver situation is just one where that it stings. It stings that he's not playing up to the level that they were expecting because that something that they invested so much in him. And, th- and this that's part of the free agent game, right? Yeah, is that you you pay guys guaranteed money, and they if they don't turn out the way you wanted it's it's hard to not have a sunk cost there um I, I like what you said about about Sammy Womack and the size you know who he really reminds me of is uh Terrell Brown uh from okay. from back in the Harbaugh days I think mm-hmm. similar size I think uh both of them ended up not as 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 uh high as they could with their their speed and their tenacity and their abilities um right. you know cuz Terrell Brown I believe he was about 5'10 I want to say is where what Terrell Brown was that he wasn't the biggest guy but uh feisty and turned out to be a very solid corner uh that's who Womack reminds me of so um you know and Daryl Luter yeah I know Daryl Luter is 6 foot but Daryl Luter has incredible length if you see him in person dude's got it is some crazy long arms. yeah he's got i think 34 inch arms or something like that it's he's got some long arms he he is and um I see a question real quick do you think you can play nickel he's an outside guy he's meant for this press man kind of system yeah he he's at at, at uh southern uh at the University of Southern Alabama. I had to remember what it was, because um, that's is where the Senior Bowl was held. And it, it just as a side note, it weirded me out when I pulled into the onto the campus for the Senior Bowl, and I just had saw these USA uh, banners everywhere, and I was like, "Man, they're really patriotic here." And then it hit me; it was University of Southern Alabama. Uh, but he was a press man guy, and I, I think what you're going to see from Wilkes a lot this season is a lot more man coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, D'Amico Ryan's ran zone more than any other defensive coordinator in the league last year. So you go to anybody else and it's going to be more man. And then Steve Wilkes, it ends up being about middle of the pack as far as uh, man coverage. So you're going to see the 49ers run man probably about 25% more as far as overall plays uh, than they were last year. You're going to see a lot more man coverage. So Daryl Luter is an outside press man guy. He's a pick for the Wilkes system. Uh, to me, I would rather see Womack or really Ambry Thomas. I want to see what Ambry Thomas would look like in that nickel position. And I think uh, he will with one. I, I think, you know, I think he's got the, what you want from that nickel. He's got the height. He's got the length because you need, you do need length in that nickel position because of all the two way goes and to be, you're almost always going to be in a receiver's hip pocket. You're not going to be able to be in phase with them at all times. So you got to have that length to make up for that. It was kind of like Carlos Rogers back in the Harbaugh era. You know, he was a guy who was like six, two and he would slide in at that nickel position uh, that it can also be physical. So I, I would like to see Ambry Thomas get a shot there. But to me, I, I think if you have Ambry Thomas demo there, I'm feeling okay. Uh, Womack, keep him on the outside. Um, you know, see what what you got in Daryl Luter. Uh, Isaiah Oliver is just, man, that's a tough one. It's like the Kinlaw situation. You get these these guys with guaranteed monies, and they really need to stay on the roster, but and, and they have the potential to be a good player there, but they're just not playing to that potential, and that's what's frustrating. No, I agree. And, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. The 49ers are now going to have to bite this year. Let's see where exactly they – Hopefully they, you know, they end up in a good spot with their cornerbacks. Health, uh, health goes their way. They can play their top guys. That's what they were hinting at towards the end of the end of the preseason with Ambry Thomas out there with the ones. But a room that didn't change too much safeties. Um, you know, Taylor Hawkins uh, was placed on season-ending IR. The 49ers, another smart move, stashing him for 2024. They go with their four guys: Deshaun Gibson, uh, Talano Hufunga, Jair Brown. And George Odom. What do you think about this room? I like it. Solid groom, man. Uh, you know, Hawkins was a guy. I was wondering what was going to happen with him just because mm -hmm. I thought he played really well for the preseason. He was a guy that, I mean, he wasn't afraid to mix it up. He was, it wasn't afraid to get physical. He was, uh, you could tell he was still learning uh, what it was to be an NFL safety and all this stuff. So I was, I was wondering what was going to end up happening with him um because he looked like he wasn't quite good enough to push uh like your your veterans out i mean there's only four spots and hafunga obviously had one tayshawn gibson had one jair brown's got one so it was really down to that that last spot george odom and, and hawkins and i was wondering what was going to happen with him it felt like if they let him hit the open market that he could get snatched up and so you know stashing him i think is a good is a good move. Uh, you, you get veterans in the safety spot, you know, mo for the most part, other than Jair Brown, um, which is what you want. You know, those are your safety blankets. And so need to be guys that uh, help not give up that big play. And you see that with Gibson, with George Odom, and then Hafunga, obviously an all pro. So, uh, you know, feel great about this safety position. Jair Brown, I, I think he looks like a starting guy. I mean, you see him, you yeah. see him in the preseason, uh, there wasn't anything I was saying there going, man, uh, he needs to work on this. He, he looked, he looked as, as good as you would want a, a rookie guy to look in this system. Uh, and, and that's saying a lot. Cause I was a big, big Sydney Brown guy. I got sick that he was picked by the Eagles of all teams, the Eagles, but man, Jair Brown, I, I, I loved what everything I saw about him physical. He took great angles, uh, on his tack on his tackles, uh, which is something that we haven't always had from our backup safeties. Um, 
Um, uh, and so it, I just, I feel great about that position. I feel like any four of those guys could play and, and we're going to be, we're going to be good to go. I like this group. I think I like it a little more than last year because you do have Jair Brown now, a starting caliber guy, in my opinion, in that group. And so I like this group for sure. Um, and when you talk about this group, I think the main question is more so Tano Hufunga with that Baker cyst injury. I wonder how the 49ers monitor that because it doesn't seem like he'll have any surgery. He wants to play through the season, but do you limit him a little more early in the year? I, I wonder how they go about it. The main question, obviously, in this group was Taylor Hawkins, like you. I thought he was, you know, a starting uh, – not starting, sorry, a roster caliber guy. Luckily, the injury – unluckily for Hawkins, luckily for the 49ers, the injury allows him to go on season-ending IR. He's a stash and probably ends up making a roster in 2024 as a depth piece, like what I saw from him in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, safety is, the safety room is one that I, I feel as good about as any other position group. I agree. I agree. And I mean, we, we, we saw, you know, um, some national outlets even saying the safeties for the 49ers were the best in the NFL in terms of that room overall. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I mean, it tells you how respected the safety room is overall for the 49ers. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this was a fun one, man. We went through every single position, talked about the 53, talked about, you know, our personal opinions on it. Looked at the every other position. I appreciate your time, Johnny Dell. Any uh, last yeah. thoughts before we head on out of here? What do you think is going to happen with kicker? You know, it's it's the the always forgotten but uh, position that, as we saw in preseason, oh, wow. you don't you have are a kicker. Right. I forgot about kicker. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, let's talk about that. We, actually, we, we don't. Quick. Yeah, you don't want Wishnowski kick making. You know, trying to kick field goals. Uh, we've seen that twice already. I remember that happened once uh, against Seattle when. Robbie gold went down and then now we saw this last time and that's not a good situation. Uh, man, it's, it, it's going to be tough. What happens with the kicker position now? I can't drop any names, uh, but I'm trying to get a former all pro kicker on my channel to break down Jake Moody and talk about this kicker situation. I'm waiting for him to email me back. We'll see if it happens. Um, let's see. Yeah. But you know, uh, that that's a situation, man, Moody, even if he's there, has made us all nervous from the preseason. And do you, I, I don't think they can bring Robbie gold back. Everybody's saying, well, give Robbie gold mm -hmm. a call one. I don't think you, you, you can't do that with a cap saving cap spending this year. You need to save every dime you can this year. Even yes, I understand you can get savings from re-signing Nick Bosa, but you need to save every penny you can to go into 2024. So Correct. I don't think you can drop six million on Robbie Gold to bring him back. Plus, that means what do you you, you got to stash Jake Moody on IR? You do that. You know, Robbie Gold's not coming back to kick for four weeks. Robbie Gold is looking to be somewhere and to kick the entire year because he's gonna be moving wherever he's gonna be there for a year and and set up because he is. Uh, his full-time residence is still in Chicago. So what do they do? I don't know. It's a little concerning. Uh, we're here you know, just over a week from opening day, and we don't know what the situation is with our kicker. And you're, it, th this is a game, especially going into Pittsburgh, because that feels like a game that's going to come down to field goals. You know, it's going to be a field goal game. Like, these are two tough defenses. Uh, what's going to be happening there? So, uh, man, I'm I'm concerned about the kicker spot. I am too. Um I think there are two options. One, uh, well, first, on your point about Robbie Gould, he's not coming back. Um, first of all, they're not going to spend the money for it. But second of all, Robbie Gould does not take a role for four weeks. And I think the 49ers at this point are committed in a way to Jake Moody. 
Um, do I like that? No, because I think kicker is the one situation in the NFL where like special team guys are the one situation in the NFL where you can't really wait for development. You got because if, if they screw up, that could cost you a game. And the chances of making the making the playoffs to winning the division to winning the number one seed in the NFC West or sorry, in the NFC, that is one game, one game, one game. I mean, it's not like it's that significant of a drop off. And so for me, I think they go out and they sign one of the veteran kickers. There's still a few available. I mean, Mason Crosby's there, Ryan Suckup's there, but I, I don't know if, you know, you go after one of the elite guys, you might go after a Randy Bullock or a Tristan Viscaino or a Rodrigo Blankenship. You know, one of those guys that you can get in there for a trial period, allow them to find an opportunity elsewhere after four weeks or after how many ever weeks you want to keep Moody on IR. Or if you really truly believe that Moody isn't going to be, is going to be ready sooner than later, you don't even put him on IR. You sign a guy to the practice squad to elevate him and have him kick for two weeks or so or three weeks or so and have Moody back before the first four weeks. I think it's better if you have Moody on IR just for his sake, getting him back, you know, but there's going to be an insane amount of pressure regardless of when Moody comes back for him to perform. Yeah. And, you know, uh, oh, kicker's just one of those that – you never feel like amazing about when you sign a guy like you could sign the best kicker out there in the league and you'd feel like, all right, cool. Uh, I would have preferred we spend more on a defense van, you know, something like that. But when you don't have a kicker, you start going, why don't we spend more on kicker? You know, and and I mean, they spent a third round pick and, and they got two guys. Now, the only thing that I'm not 100 percent sure about is why they put Zane Gonzalez on IR. Like why why they didn't do oh, on season ending IR? Yeah, yeah, like why didn't they do a like an injury settlement with him or something uh to just have him released versus putting him on season ending IR? That's one that that is really confusing to me. I haven't fully figured out why they're stashing him instead of an injury release and let him go get somebody else, you know, land somewhere else week six, week seven. Uh, that's when I don't fully understand because uh, they're, they are going to be picking up some of the tab for him on IR. So uh, that's just one that, that is a little confusing to me, but like I said, I would like to see like a guy like Tristan Vizcaino come in. Uh, hopefully he doesn't cost you the game, but at least be able to guy to get in there, make some extra points, make a field goal. You need to get your four or five points in that game and you're good. There we go. But um, I think when you talk about it, you are right. I, I do think that for Zane Gonzalez, an injury sentiment is still on the table. That is a move that maybe we'll hear a little bit of uh, sooner than later. But regardless, I mean, kicker situation for the 49ers. I mean, it's definitely not gone to, to plan so far. Nothing is out the door. Jake Moody could very well be a top five kicker upon his return. Um, and he could end up being a very good kicker in the NFL. But so far, spending that third-round asset when you could have spent it maybe in another position at the moment, not looking so good this early in. Yeah, but hey, we got we get we still have a healthy guy who is the key to number six this year, and that's Mish Wisnowski, the Aussie bomber. Uh, he's there. Uh, he's he's healed from his back injury, and we got Tabor Pepper. So number six is confirmed. We're good there. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I wish it were that easy, you know. Uh, that would be um, the case. Mitch Wisnowski, I mean, he was another guy who had a, an interesting preseason. But yeah. yeah. Oh, well. That's oh, well. Something. Hopefully we don't ever use him on the year. Hopefully. Hopefully. Especially as a kicker. I, I Because we're missing an extra point or field goal if that's the case. But yeah. 
Johnny, it's been a great show. We talked about every position, went through the entire 53-man roster. Uh, any last thoughts now on uh, before we head on out? Hope Bosa signed soon. Just got to get him signed. I, I really feel is, uh... I, I feel like he, him, and Chris Jones are are staring each other down. I think this is a situation like Trent Williams wanted to get paid ten thousand dollars more over like six years than Bakhtiari. Yeah, I, I really feel like it's that kind of a situation. I think both of them want to reset the defensive line market. Uh, I think both of them want to be the highest defensive paid our defense highest paid defensive lineman in the league, and they're waiting for each other to sign. I feel like that's what's going on. If that's the case, the 49ers are they might be in trouble because Chris Jones does not mind holding out. He right. he said he's gonna hold out until week eight if that's the you know, he's willing to hold out that long because he can do it financially. So the 49ers better hope they get a deal done, you know, in the next yeah. few weeks. Yeah, I, I just I I just feel like they're waiting for the other one to sign because neither one wants to be paid less than the other. I really That's think true. is what it is. I, 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 you know, and, and maybe it's structure of guaranteed money over different years and what's what's paid out now versus paid at guaranteed to be paid out down the road sort of a thing. You know, that might be part of it, but you'd figure you with the way the foreigners are that those parts of the details have got to be ironed out uh, by this point. It's, I think it's really coming down to how, how is this going to end? here within a month Bose is not wanting to sign to be the highest paid defensive player week one to be not to be no lapped, longer just like yeah, that to be lapped you know in week two I, I i don't i think that's what what's happening here and chris jones is like i said he's willing to hold out till week eight once Bose signs he's gonna want more i mean he is he's just gonna he's gonna want that so you know that that's a, a weird situation that, that i think that's something that maybe hasn't been brought in the conversation enough of how that's kind of coming up I, I mean that could definitely be the case in my opinion and i don't know if fans want to hear this i think this one's more on the 49ers not at least meeting the middle ground you know um bosa will have uh, like some pretty high demands but i also think there's a, a range where he's acceptable with you're not going to meet the high demands but if you haven't met the middle ground yet i think that that's why this is taking a little longer than expected but we'll, well see well look at it from the, this perspective maybe i can i can uh, move your needle a little bit that uh joey bosa was never the highest paid defensive player in the league how much do you think nick bosa as the younger brother wants to hold that over his brother that he was the highest paid player in the league i think that you know that could definitely be a part of the case and i, I do think that overall even nick bosa's middle ground is the highest at every category it's not, you know, you'll see these deals where it's like you get the most guaranteed money at signing, but maybe not the most total guarantees or maybe not the most overall. I think Nick Bosa, his goal is definitely higher than, I think it's 33 AAV or 33 and a half AAV. He wants higher than that. He wants higher than the 80 million guaranteed at signing that TJ Watt got. And he wants, I think Miles Garrett has, or it's one of them have 102 million in total guarantees at the moment. Those are the three thresholds that Bosa wants to clear, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting and it needs to get done though. I'm, 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 I've been like, eh, it'll happen. It'll be all right. No worries. Eh, I'm starting to sweat a little bit now. I'm going, come on. We need, yeah, we need to get this done. We need to get him in the building. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, we're what now 11 days, I think away from maybe 10, 11 days away from week one, Nick Bosa 49ers fans are very much hoping that you are in the building that you are at least in California, you know, I'm sure that someone's going to cite him at the airport uh, at, at some point sooner than later. But uh, 
That one is the situation the 49ers really – you got kickers and then you got Bosa. Those are the two situations the 49ers kind of have to figure out within the next few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, it's been, a, it's been a fun show. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things. Ending it, unfortunately, on a sour note with Nick Bosa. But uh, guys in the chat, appreciate all your comments. Appreciate you guys holding the conversation and asking us questions. Johnny, it was a fun time collaborating with you once again. And I've got to say this before we head out. Love that setup in the back. I mean, every time we we see that screen, I mean, that setup in the back is always just something to look at for sure. I I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure uh, to talk football with the legendary Rowan. Thank you, my man. Guys, we will be back very soon with some more content. I'm sure Johnny will too over there. Make sure you guys go hit him on YouTube at Johnny Dale Football Academy as well as the JFA podcast. Make sure you guys go ahead and hit him on Twitter as well. Great stuff, but we'll be back. We'll see you guys soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.